This episode of Armchair Explorer is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And epic journeys is what we're all about. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey guys, welcome to the Armchair Explorer, where the world's greatest adventurers tell their best story from the road. My name's Aaron Miller, I'm a travel writer, and this episode we have a very, very special story. I'm super excited about this one. We are going all the way to the Kalahari Desert in Namibia, absolutely magical place, somewhere I've always wanted to visit, and we're going there to witness the last dance of the San Bushmen. It's an amazing story. It's an inspiring story. And it's a story about the power of dance and movement to heal us all. I think you're going to like this one. Taking us on this incredible adventure today is Ben Cole. He's a travel and documentary filmmaker. He's filmed everywhere from the Aboriginals of Australia to the Pygmy tribes of Papua New Guinea. And he's a good friend of mine too because he was the cameraman and cinematographer of uh, One Giant Leap, the Grammy-nominated Round the World album, film, and DVD, which I worked on in my 20s. I'm super proud of it. And we did an episode about it too. We interviewed one of the founders of the project, Jamie Cato. So do check that one out too if you missed it. It's a good one. So Ben was asked to come and film this incredible dance. Um, but he's also one of the founders, along with his wife Caroline, of Middle Earth Medicine Ways, which basically combines movement and dance and holistic healing practices to help us get deeper in touch with ourselves and the world around us. And that project was inspired in a large part by this story. So I think you're going to be really interested in it after you hear about uh, what he experienced out there in the desert in Namibia. And if you are, you can check it out and find out more at MiddleEarthMedicine.com. You can also connect with Ben directly uh, on Facebook at Ben Cole Cinematography. So please do check that out. So we're about to set off, but before we do, and really quickly, remember, if you're enjoying the show, please help support it by spreading the word and helping this community grow. Leave a review, tell a friend, share it on social media. It means a huge hell of a lot, and it makes a big difference. So thank you for anything you can do. The social media is at Aaron M. Writer, double A-R-O-N, M. Writer for Instagram and Twitter, at Armchair Explorer Podcast for Facebook. And if you can, I'd also love it if you would sign up to the newsletter at armchair-explorer.com, where you can also find out lots of background info on each episode, photographs, and uh, more cool stuff like that, as well as book trips inspired by the show. We are building a community of people that love the outdoors, that love exploring this world, and want to celebrate the amazingness of this planet. If that sounds like you... Come and hang out. You're in the right place. We're going to get on well. But for now, don't worry about that. Just close your eyes and dream. Because it's dark in the Kalahari. The stars are just coming out. The fire has been lit. And the San Elders are gathering to perform their last dance. My father had seen one giant leap. And he said, oh, you've got to work with my godson. Now, his name is David Bruce. Um, he's a fascinating character, really, South African-born. So he used to go on summer holidays 
He used to, as soon as he could drive, would drive up into Kalahari and meet the Sam Bushman. And he'd take these huge photographs. And, you know, 20 years, cut to 20 years later, he had a, a book that was worth $20,000 that used to sell to Saatchi and Saatchi. And these were uh, silver litho prints of these Kalahari Bushmen. And he'd given a couple of these prints to my father as his godfather. And he said, oh, I'd really like you to work with him one day. And I was like, yeah, dad, maybe one day I'll meet him. Never got to meet him until years later. I got a phone call from David saying that he'd been recording, photographing the Kalahari Sam Bushman, the Khoi Sam Bushman, and that he'd met eight of these very, very old healers who had never met each other. And they'd asked him if he could come to one of the, what they called the last dance. Now, it wasn't only the last dance, it was the first dance because they'd never met each other. And these eight healers uh, had come to him. The lead healer called uh, Kuntabo had approached him and asked, could he come and film the first and last time they were ever going to get together to heal each other before they died? And I was like, sure thing. I am in. Wow. You would be, wouldn't you? Going to Namibia, one of the most amazing countries in the world, to film one of the oldest and most fascinating cultures in human history. Yes, 100% I'm in. Trip of a lifetime. But actually, it was far more important than that. So David explained to me that I said, why are we going to make this film? Why are we going to record this ceremony? Apart from the fact that these old guys who were the the, the old doctors of the whole area just wanted to meet each other and heal each other before they died. And he said that he had made a life income out of selling the photographs of the Sam Bushman. And he wanted to give something back. So his ambition was to build a school in the area, in the Nainai Conservancy, so that the Bushmen could teach each other in their own language about their own culture. The project that David is doing is amazing. He, along with the community itself, is helping to build five primary schools for the region that will teach young Satin children in their mother tongue, close to their homes, which is often a problem keeping kids in school, the traditional knowledge that will help them keep their ancient culture alive, but also, crucially, the modern skills they need to survive in today's world too. Education is a huge challenge for San communities. Less than 1% graduate at high school level, and they are increasingly marginalized as a result. Without the ability to read and write, they can't advocate for themselves. They can't protect their rights, and their rights are constantly under threat. If you want to find out more and help support the project, please go to villageschoolsnamibia.com. So this is where the film comes in, too. Unfortunately... Like so many places in the world, it's hard to inspire young indigenous people to carry on the ways of their ancestors. Why should they? They see YouTube, they see mobile phones, they see rap stars and basketball stars and movie stars and want to be like that too. We all do. Plus, being a sand healer, it's not easy. It's seen as dangerous. The healers put themselves into these trance-like states, which are painful sometimes even and thought to be risky. They may not return from it. And the apprenticeship to become a sand healer is long and arduous. Most don't even want to start, and many of those that do don't make it to the end. 
But if the next generation is unwilling or unable to carry that torch forward, then there's a danger that some of that vital cultural knowledge, knowledge amassed over thousands of years, will simply die out. So this isn't just a trip of a lifetime. This trip is a lifeline to help keep the knowledge of these ancient healing dances alive. And that is vital, not just for the sand community, and of course that's the most important part, but it's also vital for us. Because as we'll see, the healing knowledge that this most ancient of human civilizations has amassed, while it comes from a completely different way of seeing and understanding the world, is just as relevant and powerful for us today as it was when we first set foot on the savannah hundreds of thousands of years ago. Ben's work is helping to save the sand, but it might also be helping to save us too. Um, the history of the Bushmen is horrendous. So you imagine you've got the you've got the Kalahari Desert, which is a conservancy, which was given to the Bushmen in the 1960s, so that they could keep their traditional ways going. Because it was only until about 1972 that you could buy a license to shoot the sand bushman as vermin. I just have to interrupt. That is absolutely shocking. And it's part of a genocide that has been raging against the sand people, the native people of southern Africa, not just Namibia, but Botswana and South Africa too, for centuries. And that's why the conservancy, the Nainai Conservancy in Namibia, is so important. It was founded in 1998 to provide a safe place where the sand people of this region could live in their traditional ways without fear of violence or displacement and without having to rely on modern handouts either. They could live the way they choose. And that is where we're headed now. So Ben gets the call. He's in. 100%, jumps on the plane, lands in Windhoek, the capital of Namibia, rents a car, and heads out into the desert to meet these elders, these shamans or traditional doctors, in order to film their last dance. The weird thing about Namibia is absolutely flat. So the road goes off for 100 miles ahead of you to a tiny point, which you can't see over. And then you go over that tiny hump, And there's another 100 miles. And it's absolutely straight white rubble with about a million butterflies because it was just after wet season. So you're literally, butterflies are flying at you and you're committing mass murder as you drive up this road. So I met David um, in a town about three quarters of the way up. And it was just after the wet season. So the grass is growing. On the sides of the road, sometimes you you can glimpse some um, giraffe uh, just poking its head over the bushes. And he said, well, we've got to drive around the desert and pick these guys up. So off we set in, in, in different directions. We didn't have time to go together. So I have a loose map, which is a bit like an Aboriginal map, which is a few dots and then a bush and then a bit of a stream that moves every season. So I drove off and I came across a village, which all I can explain to you, it's a bit like Eeyore's village in Pooh Bear. So there's these collections of sticks that form a kind of pyramid, about five feet tall, about six or seven feet across. And so they live in these stick huts. You know, a central fire and then a a ring of these little eel huts going around. It was like walking back a thousand years. 
The Conservancy covers roughly 3,500 square miles of the western rim of the Kalahari Basin in the northeastern part of the country. It's the last stronghold of less than 4,000 Ju Kwanzi tribe members. I'm absolutely murdering that pronunciation. I'm sorry. It's a click language. You actually have to click when you say the word. Um, And they are a specific group of the larger San population who have lived as hunter-gatherers here in this region for the last 20,000 years at least. It's an unbroken line. So it very much is like going back in time. So let's just say that turning up here out of the blue in the middle of nowhere where no one knows who he is or what he's doing felt a little strange to say the least. But if anyone can handle it, Ben can. And I had to sort of go up to one hut and sort of knock on the hut a bit. I'm feeling a bit like, I don't know, some sort of nerd from England. You know, excuse me, I'm British. Could you, um, would you mind coming with me? We're going to do a ceremony, you know. And they have the, they, the all they have is a tube with arrows uh, which has leather on either side of it and a fire-making sticks and a, a bow, and a, an arrow, a bow. Now, the bow is only about three feet long and has a very strong string that ties it. And what they do is they take a stick and they wrap the, the string of the bow around it and move it forward and backwards, which makes the stick spin so they can make fire. And this is their kit. This is like... For us, this is like their adventure kit, you know, that, that saves their lives. Well, for us, it's a mobile phone, but for them, it's this kit. So that's all they brought with them. I mean, I said, do you want to bring your things? You know, and of course, I don't speak the click language that they do, but I am an exceptional mime artist. I love Ben. He is an exceptional mime artist, by the way. You can probably tell he used to be an actor and he actually trained in mime. So he's definitely who you want on your side when you're knocking on the side of a stick hut in the middle of Namibia and trying to convince an elderly doctor who only speaks click language to jump in your cheap two-wheel drive hire car and follow you into the desert. And it just gets more surreal and more amazing from here. I picked all these guys up. I had nine elders in my car. Now, these people, they look about 150 years old because they spent all their time in the hot sun. And the cracks in their faces are like uh, riverbeds where it hasn't rained for about 50 years. You know, It's amazing. And their faces... You know, the sand bushmen are the most ancient DNA on the planet. Now, if you look scientifically, um, they say that they are 40,000 years old, their culture. But actually, more accurately, it's more like 250,000 years old. So they are like the most ancient DNA on the planet. And in their faces, you can see you can see a black face You can also see Japanese eyes. You can also see a black nose, but you can see the western shape of the skull. So it's like seeing someone who's a mixture of all of the races on Earth. Isn't that incredible? I'd never thought of it before, but of course it makes total sense. One genetic study indicated that all of us, every single human being on the planet, shares some genetic makeup from the sand people. Think about that. Their culture is so old, their DNA is so ancient, that the actual makeup of their faces contains a little bit of all of us. But don't let that smiling, unifying exterior fool you, because underneath is a stone-cold killer. 
So uh, at one stage, I'm I'm driving down this sandy bank thinking, I hope I don't turn this truck and kill these guys. Because I've never driven off-road, really. Um, And I'm driving down the sandy bank and a little um, deer ran in front of us. And suddenly from the back, I hear, get it, get it. You have to kill it, kill it, kill it. Because for them, a car is the most fantastic hunting instrument. And I spent about 20 minutes trying to run over this deer to try and make their lives a bit happier because they were just so happy. Okay, so I lied. Not a stone-cold killer, unless you're that poor baby deer, I suppose. And by the way, don't worry. It turns out that that cute little baby deer is a lot more agile than an English documentary filmmaking mime artist who's never driven off-road before. The elders didn't get their dinner. Well, not yet, anyway. And that bow and arrow they have in their survival kit, by the way, well, that isn't the only or even the most important weapon in their arsenal. And deer, as Ben was about to find out, isn't the only thing they hunt. One of the young men brought over a tiny little bow and arrow, exactly like the larger ones, but tiny. And in very broken English and mime, I discovered... But this is the origin of Cupid. Okay, so when a young man fancies a woman, he wears this tiny little bow and arrow set on his belt. And he'll walk around and he'll see the girl that he likes. And he'll take out a tiny little arrow and he'll shoot it into a button. Right? And it goes through the leather of her leather skirt and and enters her buttock in about a, a millimetre. And so she'll turn around, go, ouch, and pull this arrow out and search for the man that's shot at her. Can you imagine if that's how we all did it? You know, you're at a bar or a nightclub or whatever, and instead of busting out your best moves on the dance floor and hoping for the best, you bust out your little miniature bow and arrow and shoot someone you fancy in the butt? It would be brilliant. I mean, don't try this at home, obviously, but personally, I think it would be great. Weird way to get a compliment, yes, but, you know, a compliment all the same. Walking down the street, minding your own business, and then suddenly, bam, out of nowhere, a little miniature arrow just whacks you in the arse. I'd be like, damn right. But it's an interesting theory, isn't it? Because, you know, Cupid, what's he up to? It makes no sense otherwise, right? So maybe, just maybe, that is where it came from. Cupid, after all, is a Greek myth. And these sand lads have been shooting ladies in the butt for at least 15,000 years before those Greeks turned up. That's how old this culture is. But thoughts of Cupid and love and arrows in the bum would have to wait. Because after many hours of driving around and picking everyone up from all these different villages scattered around the conservancy, they finally arrive at the place where the ceremony will be done. And it's beautiful. We arrive at a huge baobab tree in the middle of nowhere. And about 50 people arrive. All the women, children and these old blokes. Now, as the sun is setting, this old lady with this elephant-type face of all these crinkles in her face turns up. She's been walking for three weeks. She didn't get picked up by me or David. She decided she was going to come and she walked through the desert. And just as the sun was going down on the horizon and a man i think was about 105 turned up and he was one of the most ancient healers 
And I, I was certain that this guy was going to die. You know, he looked dehydrated. He was in a terrible state. Remember this old man, because he's going to come up later. And Ben's not exaggerating. He might well be 105. Most of them were in their late 80s and 90s. And they walked through the desert for three weeks, just with their survival pack and their bows and arrows and nothing else to get there. That's how important this last dance was. But it was important for the culture, of course, but it was also important for the people themselves, for the healing that they needed as individuals. There were two types of healing dance in the Kalahari Desert, the Sandu. The elephant dance and giraffe dance. And there's a major difference between the two. The dance I was going to, to visit was where the women sit around a fire and they start singing and clapping 180 beats a minute funnily enough, just like house music. And they start singing these polyphonic rhythms. So poly meaning many, phonic meaning all sorts of keys that seem to intermingle into a cacophony of sound. And then the men get their arrows and their, their hunting kits and their hunting gear on. And they walk, they pace like giraffes around the fire and the women sitting around the fire. And they carve this trench around the women. And they, they listen to the singing of women and the clapping. And they, they feel the energy. It's called nom energy. So it's a click language. And that's a nom energy. This is important. This is really what it's all about. So as the men listen to the women singing and clapping around them, their dancing intensifies and they begin to shake. And that shaking and the movement of their body in the dances heats up this nom energy. They can feel it hot in their body as it rises through their spinal cord and then explodes into their brain. And at that point, they feel enormous power. Their legs tremble, their chests heave and shake. They have entered the trance state where healing can begin. But crucially... That healing energy is generated by movement, by the dance itself. This episode of Armchair Explorer is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. And Pathfinder, that's a pretty cool name, isn't it? Because that's also what this show is all about. Exploring, getting off trail, having adventures, finding your own path and living life to the fullest. Sound like you? Yep, sounds like me too. Which is why I'm so excited to partner with Nissan. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has seven drive modes, available intelligent 4x4. It's got the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds. So go ahead and bring all that gear with you and lots more. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, a vehicle built for adventures everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, if you examine animals that go through trauma, when they have run away from the lion that has been chasing them for hours, the trauma's stuck inside their muscles. 
And what they do is they suddenly start to shake all their limbs, a bit like a dog when it gets too wet. And they just shake and shake and shake, and they're literally dropping the energy of adrenaline and trauma in their muscles. Giraffes do it. Elephants do it. And, of course, the sand for 40,000 years have been watching the animals after they've been chased and they've got away from something and they've seen this shaking medicine that they do. So they have learned from them. And what they say is that, look, for the Sam Bushman, their iPhone is an arrow. They live by it. They die by it. They hunt with it. So they see the body as a circle of energy connected to desert floor and to nature. But this circle of energy has arrows sticking out of it, just like the arrows they carry. And when you start to shake, these arrows, which are normally limp sticking out of your belly and your back, start to rise. The arrows rise. They lift out of the body. Now, they see them as arrows. We might see those points as injury or trauma. We might see that as an energy blockage in the body or even an emotional blockage. And lots of traditions around the world work within that kind of understanding, right? Acupuncture, for example, holds that blockages in our chi energy can cause all sorts of health problems and that by inserting needles in precise points in the body, you can unblock this energy and allow the body's own natural healing to occur. Pressure points and trigger points in physiotherapy do similar things too. And what Ben's saying is that that movement, that shaking, is a natural process that we see in the animal kingdom to release that blockage, that pressure, that trauma from the body. And that the healing dances of the sand people come from that deep, instinctual place. Our Western scientific brains may explain it differently. We may have different language for it. But essentially, that's what's happening. And it's happening now, under the baobab tree, as dusk settles on the Kalahari Desert, and the fire is lit, and the singing and dancing begins. I watched these old guys going around and around in the circle, and eventually they would stop, start shaking, like going into trance. And then they would turn and they would reach down to their women folk and they would grab hold of their heads and shake with their heads and pour this energy inside their heads, their hearts, their wombs, their legs, their knees, the, the babies they were holding. It's fascinating. It's like it's, it's transfixing. And for two nights, these ancient men danced and they would make us like wimps. In a, in, a, in a rave or a festival. They danced constantly uh, around and around in the circle with their spears over their shoulders and they got into trance led by the great Kuntabal. They would go around, around, around in the circle until they stored up what is this non-energy. And the non-energy has been, has been studied. It's one of the most... The sand bushman is one of the most studied peoples by anthropologists. Years later, I went back to the Kalahari with an anthropologist called Chris Lowe. And so he, I went back with him to study them, and he spent 15 years there. And he has very humbly got to know the doctors there. Um, and he explained to me what his theory was. And basically, he studied 
uh, a gentleman called Bradford Keeney, who identified the shaking as a critical mechanism for opening the body up to spirit. As the shaking and dancing intensifies, two nights without cease, beginning with small steps in time with the beat, but growing harder, stamping on the ground in time with the clapping and song. This energy grows stronger too, it grows hotter, until the healers pour this energy into the bodies of the people around them in order to heal them. Bradford Keeney, the anthropologist who Ben mentions, actually has a book which I will link to. It's called Way of the Bushman as Told by the Tribal Elders. And he's got a special perspective because he's been accepted by the sand healers as one of their own. This special wisdom has been given to him by them. And he writes in that book that the sand culture is a dancing culture. It's intrinsic to who they are as a people. He writes... The movements and sensations of the body in relationship and interaction with others constitute their way of knowing and being. They are a dancing culture. They know through dance, and they dance their ideas, emotions, and laughter, as well as their bodies. I love that. They are a dancing culture, and through the healer's movements, this spiritual energy, this life force that comes from the land, from the desert, and which is generated through their movements and singing, comes into being. And when it does, that person starts to shake, just like the antelope. Akini says that there are three stages to this process, once the healer is in trance and shaking. At first, on the first stage, they feel power, they feel strength. On the second stage, they feel love for everything around them. They can see the suffering of others and they can pull it out. These are the arrows, the trauma that you can release, that they, that they let rise up. But there's also a third stage. And the third stage is one which only a rare few can reach. And in that stage, they feel a love so all-encompassing and pure that they can pass on this love, this energy, into the hearts of others through touch. Such a person is known as the heart of spears. And this is who the great Kuntabo is. And for the sand people, this is also what God or the universe or life force or whatever you want to call it, whatever it means to you, for them, God is the love that is called down and expressed and felt through dance. God is not separate from that for the sand bushmen. He is the love that dancing manifests. And guess what? It works. The night before the first night, the old man that I thought was going to die, each healer, each of the, the seven other healers, came up to him and were wiping their hands down his body and pulling out the energy of trauma from his body and old age and then reaching up and throwing it up into the air with this high-pitched squeal. And the next day I asked Kuntabo what was going on and he said he was throwing it back to the ancestors. And you know, the, the second day I see this guy in a jacket walking around the camp like a teenager and he's playing with the children and he's laughing and joking and I'm like, my God, that is the same guy. So you know what we're all doing now, right? When we're old and grey. That's right. We're going to the Kalahari Desert. We're lighting a fire and we're dancing with the sand bushmen. And I don't care if I have to walk three weeks through the desert as well to get there. It'll be worth it. Because what you really need, and this is what the sand bushmen are telling us, what you really need to do is dance. Start now. Dance more. 
Dance every day and let go when you do it. Dance with abandon. Let that energy rise up in you. Let it heal you. Because there is power in dance. But for Ben, well, Ben's lucky. He didn't have to wait until he was old and gray. He experienced it firsthand and right from the source. And it was an experience that changed his life. One thing I've learned from filming Sacred Ceremony is that if you're just an outside observer, you never get to understand what you're filming. So I decided I would have a go. And um, Kuntabo uh, came over to me and he started shaking and he put his hands on my heart. And immediately I wanted to cry. That You know that when your heart just opens and tears, not the tears of uh, trauma, but the tears of bliss. So just a few drops started dropping out of my eyes and down my face. And I stood up and I started shaking with him. And when I did it, it was a bit like starting an engine. So you've got somebody on a fast motorbike revving up next to you who's, who's shaking and, and, you know, cooking, uh, cooking with the energy. And uh, they reach over and they put some oil on your body and they shake next to you and they put their heart against yours in a, like a heart embrace and they pour energy into your heart and suddenly you start shaking a bit because everyone's shaking around you and you start kind of faking it a bit. And it's like trying to start an engine. And then eventually your engine starts and you start shaking and your hips shake and your legs shake and your head shakes and your hands shake and you're like, and you can't stop. I was shouting with energy and all the women came over and they form a semicircle around you. In the giraffe dance, the men dance around the women. But in the elephant dance, which Kuntabo is really good at, uh, the women form a semicircle around you and they start clapping and they stare at you and sing in these very high-pitched, squeaky voices that go straight through your head, the back of your head, the back of your neck. And it's all polyphonic, so you can't find a melody There is a sort of melody, but there's so many people singing at different rhythms, at different pitches, and you get information over and you start shaking. And all the trauma starts coming out of your body and you fall over, you faint, because it gets so prickly and hot that it's like your computer uh, just rams and you just it just seizes. And you fall over backwards into the sand and get this. You look up and there is the Milky Way because there's no light above you. And then there are angels singing in a semicircle around you, looking down at you like like angels. And because you're in trance, the very fast 180 beats a minute in this high-pitched singing slows down and it becomes harmonious and you're lying looking up you know in the churches of England you get the ring of angels and then the firmament up above and they're looking down and singing at you with their hands closed in a kind of prayer you suddenly realize that you are in the most ancient church on earth because they're clapping so their hands are going together in prayer 
and you're looking up and their singing becomes like angels, like an angelic choir. You have died and gone to heaven. And it is the most ancient choir, the most ancient church on earth, because here's the thing. We have been dancing and singing and making music since we first set foot on the savannah. It's who we are. Every spiritual religious tradition on earth has some form of dancing and music and movement and chanting and drumming as part of its practice. It is how we connect with the divine, whatever you may conceive of that to be. And as Ben entered that trance, the polyphonic singing, that barely comprehensible noise slowed down and became harmonious because now his brain was buzzing on the level of the desert, on the heartbeat of the land, and his spirit, like those arrows, was rising. And it felt like prayer because it was prayer, the most ancient prayer on the planet. And then what happens is the doctor comes along, grabs you by the wrist, pulls you up, and you start again. Suddenly, I have enough energy to run in the heat of the day around the whole village, and I, for the next few days, I couldn't stop moving. I was like, it was like all the meridians of my body had been blown out, and all the energy of my body was working perfectly. And I was suddenly 19 again, being able to run at five miles and then, you know, just take a few breaths and carry on, you know. And that's their secret. Not drugs, not medicine, just movement, just music. The music of the desert, the last dance of the sand bushman. And I get it, it's easy to be cynical, and maybe you should. Maybe it's all in our mind. It probably is. Everything is really when it comes down to it. But don't forget, too, that we are music. We are made of music. We are heartbeats. We are the blood pumping in our brains. We are breath. We are night and day. We are the spinning of the planet. We are the movement of the stars. If you're still feeling cynical, that's fine too. I get it. But I would also just ask you to think back to the last time you truly let yourself go, listening to your favorite song and dancing your heart out, whether you're in a concert or a club full of people or just in your own front room. Because it does feel good, doesn't it? It does feel like healing. And it doesn't matter what you do or how good you are. Personally, I've always found a solid 4-4 big fish, little fish cardboard box does the trick. It doesn't matter. Just let go. And it does feel like healing when you do. And maybe, just maybe, it goes deeper than that too. Every single culture has dancing in their spiritual practices. Every single culture has drumming, has rhythm, has singing that helps us go into trance. So we have our own versions of that kind of healing because I completely believe that disease is diseased energy that's trapped in my muscles. So, you know, from all the adventures I've had all over the world, I've been around the world seven times, this to me is like the greatest adventure of my life because it's like back to the beginning of time. To spend two nights under a baobab tree in the middle of nowhere with people older than anyone you know, dancing like they're at a rave, shaking and singing and doing all this, is to me really what the ancient life is about. And when anything bad happens to me, when anything, any bad news comes along, and I notice my body tensing, and I notice that trauma of bad news traveling through my body now. Um, I, I go and find somewhere alone in nature and I 
I start to shake. Like a dog that's, you know, shaking off the trauma. Um, and I, I close my eyes and I bring back the vision of a fire burning of this circle of women clapping and looking at me and this little man dressed in a bit of leather with an athlete's body and shaking in front of me and it all comes back. Ben says this is medicine that we in the West have forgotten. And what he and his wife are doing is trying to remember the healing dances for our place and our time, trying to help us remember how to connect to spirit through the movement of our body. It's really amazing work, and you can find out more about it at MiddleEarthMedicine.com. So Ben's journey was just about done. But then something kind of amazing happened as he was leaving. The Kalahari, the San people, had one little piece of magic left. I drove back for two and a half days back from the from the Kalahari Desert, um, not wanting to go, not wanting to leave what felt like my home. And they say when you go to Africa, it gets in your blood and it's like mother. It's like leaving the mother. And the phone rings. And it's my brother. And he said, oh, my God, you don't know. Our father's died last night. And I'm driving down the car and I get this, I get this voice in my head that sounds like the voice when, when I'm thinking, but just older. So it sounded like my dad. It said, look up. And I look up and there's this big tree. Now, you know, it's a thousand square miles of flat bushland. There are very few trees. And sitting in this tree is what I think is a man in a, a Halloween costume. It's dark red and dark brown. And it looks like a man sitting in the tree with huge wings. Stands up and leaps off this branch. And I realize it's an eagle vulture. And it flies in almost slow motion grace towards my car and about nine or ten feet away just drifts past my windscreen and flies off and it felt like that was my dad so when i was standing around the fire with these men of my father's age with his godson which was his dream that i should work with his godson i suddenly got this incredible joy in my heart bit like when Kuntabo started healing me, that my father had left his body, traveled in a microsecond to Namibia, and was looking down at some ancient healers and his godson and me working together. It was like he had, it was his way of saying goodbye to me, that he'd been there, witnessed that as he'd left the world. His father's last wish was that Ben would connect with his godson, with David, and maybe somehow he knew the importance of the work they ended up doing. And maybe that's why he came, at least in Ben's understanding of it, to say goodbye there, to witness that last ceremony, that last dance. And it really is the end. Because the day before Ben and I spoke, we've been talking about this for a while and trying to organize it. And then the day before, Kuntabo passed away. And with him, perhaps one of the last great healers of the sand. 
but his message did not pass with him. Ben's film is in the school. Kuntabo's great-great-grandchildren, with luck, will be able to watch and learn from it too, as was his wish. And his message spread wider than that too. Keeney recorded in his book something that Kuntabo and other elders said. They said, People need to dance every week, even twice a week. There is always music in our heart, in our head. These are urgent and dangerous times, they said, and our wisdom is needed to heal the world. That wisdom is that dancing and singing are not just frivolous pastimes, they're not just a bit of fun. They are a direct connection, a doorway to the spirit, however you conceive of that. You just need to let go and let your body do the work. We are music. We are breath. We are the movement of the stars. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you for taking us on this inspiring adventure. Remember, you can connect with him at, at Ben Cole Cinematography on Facebook. And if you're ready to get your dance on, I know I am. Just head over to at MiddleEarthMedicine.com. So thank you to all of you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this community. And remember, the more you look for wonder in the world, the more the wonder of the world becomes a part of who you are. Dare to be truly alive.